tell me. <laughs> I'm just, Ouch. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But you, as a pastor, I, I, do, I do find out things about people, and I still love them. You know what? I still love them. Um, sometimes it's hard for people to reciprocate that toward me and toward, toward my wife. They find out we're human, and they're like, oh my gosh, you can't go to church there anymore. I'm like, I'm not Jesus. I never claimed to be. Realistically, though, you find things out about people and you work through people's struggles with, with, with people and you still love people. Then we're in the people business. We're supposed to love people. It also means we're supposed to love people who don't deserve our love, that we have the, the fruit of love that's produced in our life and it, it really should be toward, toward mankind. And again, this is where I get into we, we, can't, we can't be moving in the gifts of the Spirit without loving people. And, and at times we struggle with that. We, we really struggle with love. We struggle with loving people who've hurt us in our past. You don't know how bad my ex-husband hurt me. You don't know how bad. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We have to love people. It's a commandment. And it's also a fruit. So then last week we talked about joy, pure, unmitigated joy. We, we said this, that joy is not predicated on our circumstances. Our circumstances can be awful sometimes. Can I get an amen on that? Sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes things go bad. Sometimes things are awful. But you still can have joy. And joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Having a happy day or a good day can be because things went right, things went your way. Joy is anchored far beyond our circumstances. It's anchored far beyond our circumstances and our, and our situations. Joy is anchored oftentimes even beyond this life, knowing that in the end, everything works out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Knowing that one day we're going to be in a place where there's no more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears knowing that one day the old order of things will pass away and behold, all things will become new. Knowing that one day we'll see our loved ones again, our family members again. Knowing that this life is not all there is. Our joy is anchored beyond this life. It's why we do what we do. And sometimes that knowledge is what keeps us going through this life, to get through this life. And we are just passing through. The older I get, the more I realize I'm just passing through. The next life is the one. This is a temporary existence. I am an eternal being in a temporary time frame. Our spirit lives forever. My body ages all the time, but my spirit does not. My spirit is as alive and well and as young as it possibly ever could be. And sometimes my spirit tells my body it can do things it cannot do. <laughs> sometimes my spirit's like, go ahead and lift that weight. And my body says, you're going to feel how this feels around your throat. You know what I mean? There are things I used to be able to do that I just can't do, and things that used to come easy, and now they take more time to, 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 to get to, you know, sometimes, I saw a post on Facebook said, you'll understand this when you get older. Sometimes you got to sit on the side of the bed and warm up like an old Buick before you stand up. <laughs> sometimes I feel that. Sometimes I wake up, and I'm like, who beat me through the night? It could be that somebody did. I don't know. But it probably, probably is just getting older. But my spirit is alive. My spirit is alive, and, 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 and I just, I have joy in that, man. I, we've, all, we've all had bad things happen in life and had hard things happen in life, but man, I look forward to what God's going to do next. I look forward to spending eternity with him. I know people think, man, that's crazy. I don't, I don't want to die. I don't want to die today either, but I'm fine if I do. My joy goes beyond this life, um, and so, and my wife will be fine if I do. I got life insurance. It'll be fine. Everything's good. 
Let me read Galatians 5, chapter 22 through 23. If I come up missing, that life insurance statement comes back to haunt me. Just look to her. Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And I'm just going to read this quick text, and then we're going to get into the next fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. You would think I've talked about love and joy that I would go into peace, but I've already talked about peace a little bit last week. Long-suffering is a fruit of the Spirit I probably will talk a little bit about. I'm also going to talk a little bit about self-control. Long-suffering, it means patience, and it is a fruit that people often do not pray for. We're not going to talk about that one today. I don't know if anybody in here has ever prayed for, Lord, just give me the patience. I'm going to tell you right now, God works patience in you by working patience out of you sometimes. If you ever pray that the Lord will give you patience, he puts you in circumstances where you're going to need it. You end up in a traffic jam. How many people have found patience on Route 30 driving between Madison and Ontario right about now? Ooh, Lord, give me patience in the lack of road rage that I want to have right now. Patience is not something we love to talk about, but it's a big deal. And then, and then uh, the, the one I want to talk about today is, it's a hard one. It's a, it's a difficult one to unpack. <clears throat> it's the fruit of gentleness. Everybody say gentleness. gentleness. Gentleness is a tough fruit because we typically, we typically assign, I'm just going to say it, we, we assign a, a, a lack, especially men will assign gentleness, a lack of, of masculine, masculinity or, or manliness to this one. And uh, man, we could get into whole, all kinds of culture stuff here, but I'm, not, I'm just going to avoid that like the plague. Uh, that's a bad joke right now, isn't it? Uh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> that was not on purpose. Gentleness is something we don't like to talk about though, because a lot of guys, don't see being gentle as truly being manly. I am, I'm a type A personality and, and sometimes type A's can be seen as abrasive and, and abrupt and they're kind of like the charge, take the hill sort of people and they just don't have time for all the talk and all the, you know, all the fluffy feeling stuff and guys associate gentleness with feelings and, and sometimes we'll even believe that the only people that really should be gentle is, is like wives, mothers, you know, we, we see them as gentle, but gentleness is, is super important as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I believe, I believe this is one of the most important fruits of the Holy Spirit that can be produced in our life as a follower of Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack why in just a quick second. I believe gentleness is enormous, absolutely enormous. Um, when we think of gentleness, we think of a mother scooping up a crying child and comforting them and, 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 and until their smile returns and making sure the kid knows everything is going to be okay. Uh, and that's a part of gentleness. And we're going to need to get into some original language for you to get the full picture of what gentleness really is. So we'll be talking a little bit about Greek and Hebrew today. Welcome to class. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about Greek and Hebrew today so that you can understand fullness of gentleness. But it really is one of the most important fruits of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons I believe it's one of the most important fruits of the Holy Spirit is I believe when we lack this, when we lack gentleness, and when we are abrasive, and when we try to even share our faith with people, and we lack gentleness, we can actually do more damage for the kingdom than we do making impact for the kingdom. We've all seen, we've all, we've all seen and we've all been around people who, who share their faith frequently. I, I, I can think of a few people who, who share their faith all the time and tell, tell people about Jesus. 
But we can come off very, very preachy to people and judgmental toward people if we lack gentleness. And oftentimes when we lack gentleness, one of the things that we'll do when we lack gentleness is we'll, we'll, we'll point out everything that everybody has wrong in their own life. Uh, we've seen people that, oh, you, you really shouldn't do that. You, you need to get your life cleaned up and you need to, what you need is Jesus. You need Jesus and you need to quit doing that. And we start telling people what they need in their life and what they need to get out of their life. And people will listen and kind of be respectful for a minute. But the more we preach sometimes, when we lack gentleness, the more people try to avoid us. And we don't recognize it sometimes. We don't recognize, like some of us in here don't recognize uh, that we are, we are not, uh, we're not uh, the, the, the positive hammer for the kingdom that we think we are. Uh, we, we really are, some of us come out just swinging that hammer. Like I'm just telling everybody about Jesus, which I applaud. I, I get that. Uh, but then to point out everything that everybody's ever done wrong and tell them all the flaws and faults that they have and why they're doing it wrong. See, that's where we often go wrong. You know what? You just get, you give those drugs up. If you knew Jesus, you, your marriage would get fixed. If you knew Jesus, I'll tell you why everything's broken is because you don't know Jesus. And all of that may be true. But what you say and how you say it is just as important. Jesus was a master class at getting the truth across, but doing it with gentleness. Absolute master class in doing ministry in such a way that people heard the truth, but yet they, they didn't feel abrasion toward him. He was, I'm going to say something that, that some people are going to disagree with, but listen to the whole sentence, okay? Can we agree with that? Say amen. amen. Listen to the whole sentence. Jesus was a seeker-sensitive messenger with a seeker-confrontational message, which meant he loved people. He was sensitive to the people that he was talking to. He was sensitive to their life. He was sensitive to their background. He was sensitive to everything that they've gone through. And he was a masterful deliverer of the truth. But the truth was always seeker confrontational. It was, this is what's going on in your life. And this is what you need to do. He would tell people, listen, you've got sin in your life. And then he would say things like, go and sin no more. No more. Yeah, go and sin no more. You, 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 you've, had, you've had four husbands or five husbands. The man you're with right now is not your husband. And, and she was a marvel. The woman at the well was marveled at, at what he knew about her life. And he forgave her. And he said, listen, I'm going to give you water that never runs dry. But he would often tell people, go and sin no more. Stop what you're doing and start something fresh. And yet they received it because he delivered it with gentleness. And he, he delivered it with Love. He was a master craftsman with how he said what he said. I, I, I struggled with this early on in ministry. I came, I, most of you know my background, but the church, the, the kind of the church group that I came out of, when I got saved, uh, th there was no getting saved in your seat kind of sort of scenario. Like where, where I came out of, you came to the altar, and altar calls oftentimes were as long as the message. Yeah. They were as long as the message. And there was no coming to the altar for healing. There was no coming to the altar for things you know, like, oh, Pastor, I want to pray over this, or Pastor, I want to pray over that. The altar was for salvation only. And that, that's, that's what I came up in. You came to the altar for salvation. And I would have pastors just, they would stay. I feel like three people in here need to give their life to the Lord. You know, you got your eyes closed. You, look, you like open your eyes. The pastor's like looking at you. Three people. <laughs> three people. I'm not talking about you, but 
<laughs> It'd be, you know, like, and until three people gave their life to the Lord, we were in church. Lunch wasn't coming. Three people had to, like, give it up. All right, I'm going to take one for the team. Let's go. All right. I can tell Sister Nittenthopper's hungry. Let's get to, let's get to the buffet. I came up in that, and then here was the thing. After you got saved, it was, it was all right, uh, why are you still cussing? Why are you still why are why are you still struggling with cigarettes? Why is your marriage not fit? It was it was kind of that environment where it was like we don't understand. You got saved everything. Like, Bless the Lord, the Lord saved me and sanctified me instantaneously. And for me, my life was kind of easy. It was an easy clean. I wasn't raised in church, but I was only like 15 years old when I got saved, so I hadn't gone down some crazy path yet. I was dabbling in things. Um, that I shouldn't have dabbled in and just to dabble, do you? And that was good enough for me. Uh, I dabbled and then I got saved. And so, man, it wasn't hard for me to clean my tongue up. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I cussed my seventh and eighth and ninth grade year. My mom and dad would have just, my, my mom would have throat punched me if she knew I cussed. Like she was just so anti, so anti cuss words, even though she cussed, which was funny. Um, <laughs> like you respect your elders. Well, I respect the fact that you need to start cussing too. Okay. That's what you need to do. But, uh, but anyway, anyways, um, and so I, I didn't have a lot to clean up. So when I, when I, when I got saved, I, you know, the people in the church were like, well, you need to clean it up. I'm like, I'm good with that. I was reading my Bible. I wasn't cussing. I wasn't into drugs, alcohol, uh, didn't date anybody. So that was safe. Things were good for me. I was 15 years old. Then I got into youth ministry and I started preaching the way that I came up. I started preaching from my experience in my environment. And I'm preaching to teenagers as a youth pastor. And I'm telling kids, you need to walk in purity and you need to, you need, you, you need to not be looking at that, not doing that, and stay away from drugs and alcohol, and guys stay away from girls, and girls stay away from guys, and now you gotta warn them to stay away from everybody altogether. It is I was I was I was terrible, but it's the truth. I, I was just constantly like staying on top of that, and I wanted them to get saved and sanctified, and I wanted them to come to the altar, I wanted them to have their life together, but here was the problem. The longer I youth pastored, the more I realized that 16 and 17-year-old people had actually real adult problems going on in their life, things that I didn't experience. I had kids that were telling me my mom and dad's an alcoholic, and I'm sitting here as a 21-year-old pastor going, I never had that happen to me. I can't speak to that. My mom and dad are divorced. Okay, I never had that happen to me. My mom and dad just celebrated 45 years of, 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 of marital bliss, marital something, but marital bliss, uh, just this weekend. These kids have already experienced something I've never experienced. Abuse. Kids, you, you know, going home and, 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 and mom and dad's hitting them. I had, I had, I had moms that would not bring their, would not bring their, their kids to youth, to, to youth group at all. I had one kid I picked up every Wednesday for four years in a row. And when he got grounded, she grounded him from youth group. That's what she grounded him from. And I would plead with her. I'm like, I promise you, I am reinforcing. I'm reinforcing honor your mother and your father. I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them to behave. Believe me, I'm not getting in this pulpit and telling them to go home and act a fool in front of you. And over and over and over, I would see, I would see home lives, and, and, and there were so many different people represented in so many different backgrounds. And here I was preaching hard and, 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 and trying to get these kids to live this perfect Christian life, and I realized something early on. 
they're going through things that I haven't gone through. They're experiencing different things that I, that I haven't experienced. And they're going to experience things that I, I'm going to be dealing with people the rest of my life that come from a different background. Even though they've had a short life so far, they've already experienced things that I haven't experienced. Then I got into adult ministry, and, and I realized, I realized uh, that adults have problems too. Can I get an Amen. Can I just say bills are stupid? I hate bills. Those are all problems. I think, I think, I think I could, I could, I could bring unity in the room uh, between Democrats and Republicans right now. We could talk about the IRS and how stupid bills are, and we'd all come, we all walk out of here hand in hand, wouldn't we? It's like kumbaya. We'd all agree. <laughs> uh, but, but nonetheless, adults have real problems. And then my wife got into children's ministry, and I found out six and seven year olds have real problems too. Because she started telling me some of the prayer requests that came out of kids' church, and I'm going, are you? Because kids don't lie. Oh, they don't lie. What do we need to pray about today? And we would have little kids just all, you know. I mean, we got weird stuff, like pray for my dad's butt. Like, what? Because you got to watch. You got to watch. You say something hurts. A kid's praying for you in church. I'm telling you right now. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? We had one kid, I remember one time, their sister was constipated, and that was the prayer request. I need you to pray for my baby sister. Like, but we also got real stuff, too. Like, my mom's hitting, or my dad's hitting my mom. My, my dad left last night. We, my, my dad's an alcoholic, you know, and, and even the down speak that would happen in between parents. My dad's a no good, dirty, you know, and we would hear, we would hear this prayer request coming through the mom talking about the dad at home. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm realizing, man, wow, five and six-year-olds, teenagers, they all have real problems. They're little people with big problems, and big people are just big people with big problems. And a light goes on inside of me. You can stand up in front of people and tell them how good they need to be all day long, but we are all coming from a different place. And when you come from a different place, just simple directions, right? Some of you came from Ashland today. Some of you came from Mansfield today. Some of you came from Ontario today. Some from Lexington today. The further away you are, the longer it takes to get there. You might win the award for furthest travel, Galleon. The further you are away, the longer it takes to get there. And for people, sometimes the further they are away when they start their journey, the longer it takes them to get there. Amen. See, when I have a five or six-year-old that, 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 uh, uh, that gets saved, we don't deal a lot with, with, with foul language. And if we do, we just go talk to mom and dad, not them. <laughs> like, hey, you might want to think how that sounds coming out of your five-year-old. It's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> it sounds a little more unsavory, doesn't it? Uh, but it doesn't surprise me when a 50-year-old gets saved and has a little trouble working that out of their language. They've lived that way for so long that they're not even giving themselves the grace to have time to change. It takes time sometimes. Some things God deals with instantaneously, and sometimes he deals with things over a period of time. Sanctification could take time. Here's why I'm saying all this. When we are harsh with people and don't act with gentleness with people, we step, oftentimes, we as believers can step in front of God's process in somebody's life. And we can actually repel people from growing with the Lord or coming to the Lord based off of how harshly 
we deal with them. Gentleness is one of the most important fruits because honest to goodness, it's how God dealt with us. It's how God deals with people, but being representatives of him, sometimes we are awful at having grace and being gentle with people. How do I know that? Because I've been in ministry for 20 years and I've preached from pulpits of churches all over the place and I preach the same thing everywhere I go. Give people time to grow. Give people time to grow. And then people in church, invariably in every church that I've ever been to, start talking about other people in the church. And gossip always gets back to me. Always. Always. And who? Always gets back to me. Always. Because gossipers will gossip even to me, which is no good. And what breaks my heart is when I find out things like people, people will, people will apply like, all right, the worship team. This is not our worship team, okay? So I'm just being hypothetical, okay? I created hypothetical scenarios in first service. People thought I was talking about them. I'm like, settle down, Sally. It's still going to be okay, okay? These are hypotheticals. But what breaks my heart is when we start adding people to the worship team. And all of a sudden, we were like, woo, the worship team. And then somebody in the church finds out that one of the worship team members has got a boyfriend living with them. And then it starts. Do you know that the person who plays the guitar is living with his girlfriend? Probably shouldn't be on stage. They're sinners. Did you know that the person that's in kids' church I saw their car at Applebee's and I'm pretty sure they were sitting at the bar having a beer. They're unworthy of our children. Oh, it gets worse than that. It gets way worse than that. And I, 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 I don't get me wrong, I, I, I struggle with it as a pastor. Like, okay, like, I'll, t- I'll tell you this, like, we have some, we, we, if we ever have somebody in the church that's like, hey, I've got a past and, uh, you, you know, I've, I've hurt kids, you're probably not going to be in kids' church. It's just not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You go near a kids' church, I'm like, get away. Mm-mm, not happening. Not for you. You can be in men's ministry. You're not going to be in kids' church. If you've embezzled money, I'm probably not going to make you the treasurer of the church. Just saying. It doesn't disqualify you from ministry. doesn't disqualify you from friendship. doesn't disqualify you from coming here. But you're probably not going to, you know, like Judas never got a second chance to be the treasurer. You know what I mean? Probably not going to happen for you, okay? But we will disqualify people for anything at all. Anything at all. And why? Why will we do that sort of thing? When people live a certain way for a certain period of time, we have to give them grace and give them time to grow. Growing things, living things grow, and we have to give them time to grow. I want to be a church that operates in gentleness. Can I get an amen? amen. It's a church I want to be a part of. I, I believe in a church that preaches against sin, but I'm also a church, I, 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 I'm a part of a church that I believe that we got to give people time we got to give people time to grow. The longer I pastor, the more I realize the need for grace in my life, the more I realize I need to give grace to others. And when I first started ministering, uh, I, just, I just didn't have it. 
I just didn't have that grace. I, I had no tolerance for sin, but I also found that I had no tolerance for the sinner. Listen to me. I've watched sin wreck people's lives. I have. We've all watched it wreck people's lives. I've watched alcohol wreck people's lives. I've watched food wreck people's lives. I've watched drugs wreck people's lives. I've watched marriages wreck people's lives. And I don't want to get into the place where I watch things wreck people's lives, and then for some reason, I allow that to slip over to hoard how I feel about them as well. And that's where the church gets dangerous sometimes. Sometimes we'll watch what people are going through, and the fact that they are struggling with drugs won't make us hate drugs. We actually will let that cause us to dislike them. We, we'll see people struggling with alcohol and we'll see them watching, we'll, we'll, see them, we'll see them damaging their family and rather than hating alcohol, we'll get, really, we'll get to the place where we're really, we, we, we start to have distaste. Why are you ruining your family? Because they got sin in their life. You see, Jesus was masterful at operating with gentleness. He was masterful at knowing when something was sin, knowing how to rebuke the sin, but also knowing how to draw the very best out of that person at the same time, simultaneously, drawing them into a place of repentance, drawing them into a place of change. And this fruit is supposed to be available in our life. How do we love people unconditionally? How do we have joy unconditionally? How are we able to be gentle? We're only able to do this when we're connected to the Holy Spirit. Because I can tell you, it is very difficult for us to respond with gentleness when the attack or the problem or the hurt is in our life if we're not connected to the Holy Spirit. Think about when it happens to you. Think about when the problem is directed toward you. Think about when it's your marriage. Think about when it's your family. Think about when it's a friendship that you have and somebody's doing something to you. Is it easy for you to operate in gentleness? It's not. And the reason it's not is because we can walk in the flesh. We have to stay connected to the vine. We have to stay connected to God. We have to stay connected to the Holy Spirit in order for us to operate in this way. And so I want to offer to you, I want to offer to you what gentleness really is. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 36, Samuel said this, thou hast also given me the shield of salvation and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thy gentleness hath made me great. If you're reading from the NIV, and actually on this one, the NIV is a closer translation. In the NIV, it says, you give me your shield of victory and you stoop down to make me great. In the NIV where it says that you stoop down, the word in Hebrew is actually gentleness. It's gentleness. And it's a display of God stooping down to pick you up. Now, I haven't given you the Greek word for, for gentleness, but the Hebrew word is all na, all na. Everybody say all na. It's like all na. You know, that's basically how you say it, just like that. And that word that's used there, when Samuel, when Samuel the prophet is talking, he uses the word gentleness, he uses that word onal, and he says, you stoop down to make me great. What it literally means in the Hebrew is you chasten yourself or you humble yourself. And Samuel was basically saying, God, when you, when you make me great and when you raise me up, there is, this, there is this humility that comes from heaven. And it's this picture that God literally stoops down and humbles himself and chastens himself. He makes himself become come less to raise us up. 
And then he challenges us to operate in that same sort of thing, where we are willing to humble ourselves or chasten ourselves to raise other people up. And I can't think of any place where it's displayed more vehemently that God would humble himself and chasten himself than when the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And that word lived a life of perfection. And that word never sinned and never failed and never had a reason to go to a cross, but it went to a cross anyways, not for the sin that he committed, not for the wrongdoing that he did, but for our sin and our failure and our brokenness and our broken marriage and our drug addiction and our alcoholism and all the things that we've ever done wrong, all the pornography addictions, all the things that we've ever messed up and botched up. He didn't go to the cross for his sin. He went to the cross for your sin. Why? Because he was able to leave the glory of heaven, stoop down, chasten himself and humble himself. Why? To stoop down, as the word says in the Greek or the Hebrew, all in all, and pick you up from where you're at and raise you up. That's what gentleness is all about. And when we can't do that for other people, we might look like something. We might look religious. We might look holy. We might look better than somebody else, but we're not a whole lot like him. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven. He was willing to leave everything that heaven had for people who would spit on him, mock him, and kill him. In the church, the body of Christ, I've been doing this for a long time now, a long time, and I've seen wonderful believers who operate in the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. But I've seen over and over From an inward perspective, I've seen people leave church not because they don't believe in God, but because they're tired of being talked about by the people of God. They're tired of being hurt by the people of God. They're tired of being castigated by the people of God. They leave never feeling good enough, never feeling all grown up, never feeling they've got it together enough. Oh, oh, oh my goodness, did you see what that sister was wearing to church? Uh-uh, uh-uh, mm-mm-mm. No, 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 not in God's house, not in God's house. <laughs> Cover yourself up lest you cause anybody else to stumble. Really? We always put it on the woman for not covering herself up. Men, control yourself. If a young lady comes in here and she ain't met Jesus yet or she's in the beginning stages of her faith and the Holy Spirit's working on her, look away! For real. Why is it all? Listen to me. We will talk and not realize where somebody is in process. I have seen people at the beginning of their process. I have. And you might be like, Pastor, I don't believe that. I don't care if you believe it. We had people get saved at our old church that came out of a lifestyle where they were dancing, if you catch what I'm saying, dancing. And when they danced before the Lord, they were dancing before the Lord. Am I telling them, if I'm lying, I'm dying, strike me dead right now, Lord. And then God cleaned them up. God cleaned them up. They kept coming. The Holy Spirit kept working. And who they were here was very different than who they became over here. I have prayed with people who are drunk at the altar. They came to church and stumbled in when they could have slept it off. And I've seen people come week in, week out, week in, week out that way. 
And God revolutionized their life because we didn't tell them they weren't good enough at the moment. We dealt with the problem right then and there. Let's pray. Let's pray right now. All right, you're here again this week. Don't know why you came back. I'm glad you did. Let's pray about it again. I've had brothers and sisters. I, I, I've had a brother in Christ call me from the back of the cop car getting his third DUI just to tell me he wasn't coming to church in the morning. He comes to this church. Not going to make it to church in the morning, Pastor. I know I'm supposed to be on sound, but it's probably not going to be there. He ended up being there. I don't even know what he did. I don't know, I don't know if he got out and ran. I don't know what happened. I count him as one of my closest friends now. Changed his life. Changed his family. Why? Because I told him, God, while he was drunk, I told him, God, I'm not finished with you yet. You're just at the beginning. You're just working stuff out. He would let me tell this story if he was here today. He's missing for some reason. I'm going to get all over him. You're probably watching me by Facebook. You know who you are. <laughs> he, know, he knows I love him. I've watched God do this over and over and over and over again. Why have I watched this? Because God is willing to stoop down and pick us up. We have to be willing to do the same thing for people. We'll tell people we want... We'll tell people we want to be a church where broken people will come. We, we, we'll tell people we want to be a church where marriages can be restored and the drug addict can be set free and the alcoholic can be set free. We'll tell people that, right? We want people to get baptized. We want people to get saved. We want people to get discipled. And then we'll, and then we'll gossip about the people of God because they're not where we think they should be in their growth process, or, or we're upset about what they wore to church, or we're upset about how they ran kids' church, and we're upset about how the worship was and, and, and how everybody on stage wasn't entering in. And Man, how can, how can you sit over there and play the bass and be less? you got to be more expressive than that. I've had people get on my musicians for not expressing worship through their eyeballs enough. Being on. <laughs> I'm not joking. I've had people tell us we were playing demonic drum beats and that our sanctuary didn't represent God because we have blinds over the window and God's Jesus is the light of the earth. And if we don't have light in the sanctuary, this is a demonic house. I've dealt with all of it. The people of God are some of the most harmful people to the purpose of God because we're not gentle and we don't have that fruit. What do you think that does to the world when they watch that garbage go on? I stay in the pulpit because I want to challenge the people of God. Do better. We can do better. And the only way we can do better is by being connected to the one that is better on our own and disconnected from the vine. We are going to mess up and we're going to hurt people. See, I don't believe any of us in here are simply platonic in anybody's life. I don't believe any of us in here aren't making a difference one way or the other in somebody's life. There are no stagnant relationships. There really aren't. You interact with somebody on a day-to-day -day basis, and you're not making a zero-sum impact on their life. Now, I'm not saying you're making a positive impact, but you're either making a positive impact or a negative impact, but you're not making a zero-sum impact. Well, Pastor, I interact with people, but I don't really talk to them about God. I don't really talk about anything. It's all, just, it's all just small talk. Okay, let me submit to you. Let me submit to you how a zero-sum impact is actually a negative impact. What if, what if this time you didn't talk to them about Christ or show them Christ, and the next day you go to work and they're not there? Was your lack of interaction a zero-sum impact? 
I would venture to say to you it was not a zero-sum impact. How we act when we say we're who we are and then we go somewhere and we act differently is not a zero-sum impact. I've dealt a lot. I deal a lot with people that don't go to church and a lot with people that do go to church. I got my, this is going to sound really unscriptural. I have my feet in both worlds, but not in the world, okay? I work secular is what I mean. I've got secular work, okay? So if you're watching on Facebook and you're saying, Pastor says he's living in the world, I'm not saying I'm living in the world. I'm saying I work secularly. I work in rental property, so I deal with people all the time. And then I work with church folk. And I can tell you there's no such thing as a zero-sum impact. I've talked with people through the years that tell me, I believe in God, I just don't go to church. Why don't you go to church? I don't go to church because I don't like church people. We are, we are a walking, living, breathing billboard for Jesus. And billboards can either make you buy the product or never buy the product. There's a lot of things that I decided I would never buy because I saw it on a, I saw a TV ad or I saw a billboard and like, not interested, not interested in that. It tells me what I need to know. And sometimes our life is that way. Why do I say, why do I say I'm more interested in you producing the fruit of the Spirit before you operate the gifts of the Spirit? Because I want to know that you're making a positive impact for the kingdom before you start telling, telling people what the Lord says prophetically. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm not saying you got to be perfect. I'm saying as a believer, people should watch us act with gentleness. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say. What would gentleness dictate when we say something we shouldn't say? We know how to apologize. I'm sorry. I said that. I messed up. I made a joke last week from the pulpit that I didn't like. From the pulpit, in the moment, I said, you know what? Sorry I said that. Sorry I said that. I didn't like it. Didn't like the joke. Didn't mean to tell the joke. Sometimes I talk so fast, stuff just comes out. I got to watch myself. Slow down. Slow down a little. We are, we are oftentimes not gentle with our words. And the word gentle in Greek actually comes and means that we, are, that we operate in goodness or usefulness. That literally when we're not, like our gentleness makes us useful. So I would venture to say the opposite would be true. If gentleness, if gentleness in the Greek is defined as goodness, kindness, and usefulness, the opposite is true too. When we are not gentle, our usefulness starts to go out the window. Why do I say that? Because when we jam the truth down somebody's throat, Jesus told us we're supposed to speak the truth, what do I say? In love. In love. Speak the truth in love. When we jam it down somebody's throat, it's not useful. When, we're not, when we lack gentleness with people, it's not useful. When we lack gentleness as a parent, we've all seen it in that moment. I talked about this first service, and this is one of the areas where I really need to grow the very most. I have two girls, and I got a son with special needs. Now, my son with special needs has started to get a little stiffer upper lip, but if I would ever get on my two daughters and yell at him, he would start crying because he didn't like to see them hurt. And I'm like, well, I just, all I was doing was your sister did this thing. And I'm sitting here explaining to my son why I had to yell at him a little bit. He's just crying. And then I get madder at my daughters because they were acting online. I say, I made your brother cry because you did something stupid. Now I got to get on. <laughs> it's true. I, I, I've, got, I've got two girls. And I always... I always have to be thinking about how am I delivering what, I, what I'm about to say. When I lose my temper, my delivery becomes the problem. But what I'm saying doesn't, it doesn't make it any less true. 
Like driving with me is a hard experience sometimes for my oldest because I tend to yell when I'm about to die. I just do. It's just like, <laughs> this comes out. Yesterday, because I had to ask her even what it was yesterday, I yelled in the car, and I remember yelling in the car, and she got all flustered, and she's like, ah, I don't want to drive, I don't want to drive. I said, well, why did I yell? I can't remember why I yelled. She said, I pulled in the wrong side of the parking lot, meaning she pulled into oncoming traffic. <laughs> so, so yelling was not the wrong thing to do, right? But I saw the crushed spirit. And we've seen that, haven't we, when we get on our kids, where what we said is true, but how we said it crushed their spirit because we lack gentleness. I've seen my little seven-year-old's lips start to go because what I said was true, but how I said it was unnecessary. I've seen that with my own daughter, my oldest. What I said was true, but how I said it was unnecessary. I've seen it with my own wife in an argument. What I said might be true, but it was unnecessary, or how I said it was unnecessary. Sometimes with the people we love the most, it's not even true, it's not even right. But we say it anyways because we don't want to be gentle in the moment. And the goal is to crush the spirit. See, these are areas where we have to think about this. We teach our kids stupid things like sticks and stones may break my bones and words will never hurt me. Who thought of that? Somebody that's never, ever, ever been on social media clearly because words can destroy a reputation that somebody has worked a lifetime to build. In just a, just a moment with how you speak about people, in just a moment of whether or not you're willing to tell the truth about somebody, you can destroy somebody's life. How we talk to people is incredibly important. How gentle we talk to people, not just what we say, but how we say it is an incredibly important thing. We go to, we go to restaurants all the time. I, I can't stand this. And when I'm with church people, when I'm with church people and I see them do it, I want to throttle them because I've been out with church folk through the years who didn't get their, who didn't get their order right, and they, they can't handle it, talking to the waitress. And I'm like, well, you're not going to be in leadership now, are you? Because you can't handle your steak, just a scotch uncooked. I, it bothers me because then I, you know, because they'll want the other language coming out of them, like, God bless you, or they'll write on the, you know, or they'll leave. My favorite all time is like, let's not leave a tip, let's leave a gospel tract. <laughs> Don't leave a gospel tract if you're not going to leave a tip. If you want to leave a gospel tip or gospel tract, make it a gospel tip. Put the tip in the tract, okay? We're not, we, 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 we only halfway represent ourselves well. When we are gentle in one area and not gentle in another, it can undermine the whole thing. It really can. When we have God on our lips and then we treat a waitress like garbage, it does nothing. In fact, I shouldn't say that. There are no zero-sum impacts. It does do something. It actually does more damage. When we, when, we, when we have a mechanic that, that we deal with and that mechanic doesn't get it right the first time, we act like they're garbage. That is not a zero sum. Listen to me. Anytime that you have a bad experience, some of us in here go straight to social media and run the experience down or run the company down or run the business down. You gave up the right to be offended when you accepted Jesus. You gave up the right to be nasty when you start walking with Jesus. You give it up. You willfully give up that right. Well, pastor, I'm not, I'm not going to give up there. I, I, I want to be able to put those people, people watch those reviews and I'm, I'm safeguarding other people. No, you're not. 
No, you're not. You're getting it off your chest is what you're doing. And if you want to get it off your chest, that's fine. Just don't follow Jesus. Because I would rather have one person not follow Jesus than have one person do damage and have 75 people not follow Jesus because of that one person. I know that's a hard saying. But I want you to understand there are no zero-sum relationships. There are no zero-sum impacts. We impact positively or negatively. There are no zero-sum relationships. And sometimes it's our own children. Sometimes it's our own adult children. We want, we want everybody around us to be saved. We want to know that they're going to heaven. But listen, if you're going to, if you're going to preach, if you're going to preach at your kids, you better be living it. And you better be walking in love. And they better not know how just disappointed you are with the way that they better know how much you love them and how much you're willing to give for them and how much you're willing to, to, to spend time with them. They better know how much you're willing to bleed for them. If you want to be able to impact them, they better know that you're willing to, to go the mile for them. And when they do, when they do, you'll have an impact. Listen to me. That is what gentleness is all about. And I suggest to you that there are no zero-sum relationships. Listen, I'm about done. Pastor Josh, you can come. How do we display the kindness that gentleness wants us to display? How do we display that stooping down sort of mentality that God has toward us? How do we humble ourselves to be gentle toward one another? Sometimes it's through our speech. And sometimes you have to make a decision. Sometimes you have to make a decision to be complimentary, to be an encourager. I love natural encouragers. I do. Sometimes I, so I'm not a natural encourager. I'm not. I'm more of a natural realist. Right? So I got to fight against that. I got to fight against. Some people are like, well, that, that you're saying you're, you're negative. No, I'm a realist. Like, I call a cow a cow, like I just do, you know, if it barks, it's a dog, you know what I mean? Um, But I have to fight, I have to make myself be encouraging, because I don't like it when I get around somebody that's super discouraged, because I can see it. I told a story in first service about a young man who's 19 years old who just got into the rental property business. He hustled and was able to buy his first house for $16,000, it needs work, needs a lot of work. And I had just bought a, I, I just bought a double right across the street from him. And I owned the double behind that as well. And he's like, will you come over and look at my, will you come over and look at my property? He's like, maybe you'd want to buy it. I said, oh, yeah, I'll come and look at it. I said, hey, kind of odd. You own the, I own the property right across the street. And I walk in there, I walk into the house with him the other day and he's like, oh man, I didn't get it cleaned up. I was trying to, I was, you know, he's just sweating, you know, just sweating through his shirt and stuff. And, and, uh, He's like, man, I, I really wanted you to see it, Clancy. Don't worry about that. I said, you should see that dump hole across the street that I'm working on. Don't worry. This looks great. <laughs> this looks great. And he's like, man, I'm just so tired. I'm so exhausted. He said, I'm doing this by myself. I said, yeah. He said, do you ever, he said, do you ever just go, it's not worth it? I said, every single time I buy a property. <laughs> I said, even sometimes every single time I start a church. I just... <laughs> Because I always buy buildings that just need everything for some reason. Um, Every time. Every time I get overwhelmed. And this is what he told me that really bothered me. He said, said, I had another landlord come through here. Because he said, I know a few landlords. So he said, I've had them walk through. And 
I said, okay. He said, one of these guys came through, and it's the first, he says, the first guy that I had come through. And he said, I asked him, what do you think about the house? He said, without hesitation, he said, you just need to call the fire department, have them do a controlled burn and try to sell the lot. You've made a bad choice here. And he was like, I was crushed. He's that so mad. And I'm like, Lord, how do I encourage this kid? Because, you know, this, is, this isn't like brain surgery. You know, this isn't some life or death sort of situation. But here I am watching this 19. He's 19 years old. And it's weird to call him kids because I used to get so mad when people called me a kid at 19. I'm like, I'm a grown man. Now I wish I was 19. Like, oh, I'm a hurting man now. And I, I thought, Lord, how can I encourage this kid? I said, listen, man. I said, I'm going to tell you right now. I said, don't give up on this. Don't give up on it. He's like, really? Really? You don't think I should give up on it? I said, absolutely not. I said, I'm so encouraged to see a 19-year-old with your kind of tenacity. I said, I'm so encouraged to see a 19-year-old that's gotten up and has that much like ambition. Because I said, your generation, man, I haven't seen it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I said, if you stick with it right now and you stay with it, I said, I've been doing this for 10 years. I said, if you do it for 10 years, I said, you'll be so far beyond where your friends and family ever thought you could be. You won't even recognize your life in 10 years. He's like, are you serious? I said, absolutely. Because I said, I've experienced in everything I've ever stuck with, in the church, in, in business, in life. If you stick with it, if you just stay with it, if you just don't give up, it'll turn into something phenomenal. And you'll look back over your life and you'll go, man, I never thought it would have turned into that and I do that's the truth I look back over my life and I think man there's three or four churches behind me hundreds of people thousands of people at this point that I've come in contact with baptized hundreds of people in the church world I never thought I would ever have a business I never I ate and now I'm 18 years into marriage didn't give up never gonna give up I if you stick with it and he's getting excited again he's like man I needed this so bad it took it cost me nothing to do it nothing he goes where do you preach I said, well, here's my app. I said, here's the church's Facebook page. He's like, oh, man, I'm going to have to visit. He's like, I'm going to be watching you online. All right, that's cool. I didn't lead in with the Lord. I was talking about property and encouraging. I've seen a lot of people come to Christ having conversations about other stuff, being encouraging, and then all of a sudden you get to weave that in, and all of a sudden people's lives get changed don't disqualify yourself from speaking life into somebody else I've had people say man pastor I really wish you'd take a political stand on Facebook I won't take a political stand on Facebook you know I want to take a political stand on Facebook I'll tell people on a one-on-one conversation what I think I have thoughts about everything I got all kinds of opinions sometimes I don't even agree with my own opinion I'm like ooh I'm going to change my opinion on that. All the time I got opinions. I don't want to disqualify myself from reaching Republicans and Democrats. I don't want to disqualify myself from reaching lost people because I had to stand on a soapbox on social media. And so I use my social media for encouraging things. Why? Because the World Wide Web, people in, people in Kenya don't need to know what I think about Joe Biden or Donald Trump. They don't care. I want to be able to speak life into people. People don't need to know everything I think about everything. I want to be able to speak life into people, and I don't want to disqualify myself because I went off on a rant on something that six months later I'm probably going to think, you know what, I was a little too harsh on that. I don't want to disqualify myself. And so I don't. 
that right there is a qualifier. You can make mistakes. I'm telling you right now, if you're a gentle person and you walk in the fruit of gentleness, you can make mistakes and people will still will still look to Jesus even through you because they watch you be humble enough to say, you know what, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. It takes gentleness to do that. Or I said the wrong thing to you. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry I took that tone with you. I have a lady that works with me. I have a lady that works with me in my rental business. I got mad the other day and I texted her something and I just, I was mad. Immediately I got checked in my spirit. Immediately I got checked in my spirit. Text her back and apologize right now. So I texted her back and apologized. I said, I'm sorry. I'm just, I was just frustrated. I know you're not, I'm not even mad at you. I'm sorry. I apologize. Why? Why did I do that? Why did I, why, why did I, I apologize because I wanted to know I acted in the flesh and I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't want to break relationship because I got to be right or the loudest or the most heard. I want relationship because I, I'm gentle. I, I, I want to be able to speak into people's lives. Because, and I'm not always gentle. I can tell you that. My wife can tell you that. My kids can tell you that. I'm not always gentle. But all of them have heard me say I'm sorry before. All of them have seen me come back and retract. All of them have hugged me and I've held all of them while they cry. I, I, I've been there for them and I'll be there for them. Why? Because I want them to know that no matter what, I, I, I'm, the dad, I'm, the, I'm the dad that will run through a wall for you. I'm the dad that will yell at you if you need it, but I'm also the dad that will cry with you. if you. It, it, I'll, I'll weep buckets of tears with you if that's what it takes. Don't disqualify yourself to be right in an argument, to be the person with the last word, to be the most heard. Don't disqualify yourself. Because you never know at what point in time God's going to create this wonderful crease where you get to speak life into somebody and change them forever. I want to pray for you today. I'm just going to let you sit today with every head bowed, every eye closed. I specifically in first service spoke into a few areas, and I want to speak into those areas again. As a parent, mother and father, as a parent, mother and father, you have seen that look, that broken spirit in your child's eyes when you said what you said, even though it was true, and you knew the moment you said it, golly, that tone. I was too loud. I was too angry when I said it, or I shouldn't have said it, and it wasn't gentle. And you saw that break in that spirit of your kid, whether that kid's little or whether that kid's older. And immediately it's convicted you. And you know sometimes that's you. That's just you. And we could, even, we could easily say, oh, it's just me. Or we could say, you know what, Lord, I want to work. I want to have more gentleness with my children. I want them to see me be gentle. If that describes you and you know that the Lord's working in your heart that way, put your hand up. Say, that's me. I'm praying with you. That, my hand goes up in that area. My hand goes up in that area. If you would be honest enough to say, you know what? One of the areas that I need to work on is in my relationship with my spouse. Because when I'm in an argument, I try to win and I will go there. And maybe you've seen that crushed spirit in your spouse or in your significant other in a fiance, in a boyfriend, in, in, in a relationship with a friend. Maybe you've seen that, that, that broken spirit that you just said something and you crushed somebody. You crushed them. You knew it when you did it. You saw it in their eye. 
and you have a tendency to walk toward those buttons. Because the people we love, we know where that little red button with the plastic box cover is at in their life, and we know how to flip that lid and push that button. And sometimes we'll go right for that button because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to win. If you would be honest enough to say, you know what, I got to stop doing that. I want to walk in gentleness to the people that I love the most, the people that I love the most. And there are times I haven't. If that describes you, I want to pray for you and say, that's me. That's me. That's me. I appreciate that. Appreciate the honesty. And the last thing, the last thing that I want to pray, and this is where we all got to be honest, man. This is where we all got to be really honest. Public and public and public. Our public persona and our personal faith. Where we're out in our work environment. We're dealing with a coworker or maybe even somebody that we happen to be a manager over. Or we're in that restaurant or we're in the car and somebody wrongs us or somebody does something that we don't like. How do we respond? Do we respond in a way that honors God? Do we awe and awe? Do we scoop down and pick somebody up who has just failed? Or do we shoot our wounded? Are we the type of person that's got to be right at the risk of being wrong before the Lord. If you'd be honest enough to say, you know what, Pastor, where I need to work on gentleness is when I leave this place and when I go out into the workplace and with the environment, not let my temper and my anger get the best of me, not speaking flippantly, but just being, being more, more gentle in my general interactions with people. If that describes you, put your hand up and say, that's me. I appreciate that. God appreciates that. Now I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because here's the thing. Fruit takes work. It takes work. If the soil conditions aren't consistent, the fruit will suffer. You want to make sure that you're planted in solid fruit. You want to make sure that you're connected to the vine, connected to the branch, connected to the tree. So I want to pray that for you as well. But I'm going to pray this fruit into your life. Father, right now, in the mighty and the matchless name of of Jesus, all of us in here, we all love you, and we all love the idea of building your kingdom. Every one of us does. God, there's nothing that we want to build on our life more than your kingdom. The only thing that lasts forever is what we do for you, the impact we make for eternity. And Lord, we don't want to do anything that would cause somebody to look away from Jesus. I don't want to have any part to play. And Lord, I know I'm sure I have in the past. Forgive me for this, but I don't want to have any part to play in anybody going to hell. I don't want to have any part to play in that. God, I only want to have a part to play in somebody going to heaven. I don't want to misrepresent you. I don't want to misrepresent who you are. I don't want to misrepresent who Jesus is. And so, God, I pray that you would help me in the way that I speak. First in my house with my children, Lord. Help me to point toward the cross and not away from it. Lord, that my kids would see me be apologetic when I'm wrong. That my kids would see me be humble enough to to admit when I'm wrong and admit my flaws and admit my imperfections. Lord Jesus, that I wouldn't break their spirit just for the sake of their breaking, breaking their spirit. Lord, in the inner way I interact with my spouse, Lord Jesus, that I would deal with her with gentleness. Lord, whether it be our husband or our wife, Lord, that we would deal with them with gentleness, that we wouldn't intentionally get in arguments and go on places out of anger where we push buttons that break spirits. Lord, we don't want to be responsible for that. Lord, we want to be an encourager 
And Lord, most importantly, most importantly, our integrity dictates who we are when we're in public. Lord, when we're away from this place, when we're away from the church environment and we're walking out into our work environment, we're walking out into our public environment. Lord Jesus, that we would be good representatives for you. Lord, help us, Lord, to speak the truth in love. Help us, Lord, to not operate in anger. Help us, Lord, to operate in gentleness. Father, I pray that you would be with my friends this week as we go. Lord, we really do love them. We really are grateful for them. We really do look forward to what you're doing in and through Fusion and through this group of people. Father, today we give you the glory and the honor. And as we leave this place, Lord, as we depart from here, we have no desire to depart from your presence. Go with us throughout the day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. And uh, man, let's make this a group effort. Let's be gentle.